Hello, I'm Matt Jordan, director of Penn State's News Literacy Initiative and host of News Over Noise. On this special U.S. Media Literacy Week edition of News Over Noise, we'll be talking with two people from the National Association for Media Literacy Education who helped direct this week. NAMLI Executive Director Michelle Shula Lipkin and NAMLI Education Manager Megan Frome. The annual U.S. Media Literacy Week is hosted by the National Association for Media Literacy Education, NAMLI. Uh, the mission is to highlight the power of media literacy and education and its essential role in education all across the country. U.S. Media Literacy Week calls to attention media literacy education by bringing together hundreds of partners for events and activities around the country. The National Association for Media Literacy Education unites a community of educators committed to advancing media literacy education. As a leading voice, convener, and resource for media literacy education, namely aims to make media literacy highly valued and widely practiced as an essential life skill. Namely envisions a day when everyone in our nation and around the world possesses the ability to access, analyze, evaluate, create, and act using all forms of communication. Michelle and Megan, happy Media Literacy Week and welcome to Penn State. Thanks for having us. Thank you. So I just want to start by asking you to tell me a little bit about, uh, about where the idea for Media Literacy Week came from. Okay, so I'll, I'll take that one. I'll um, start with saying that I, uh, the organization has been around in some formation since 1997. Uh, and in 2012, I was hired as the first kind of employee executive director. And I would say one of the most frequent questions I had from members of the organization was, when are we going to do Media Literacy Week? At that point, Canada was um, successfully doing Media Literacy Week every year, and we were supporting their efforts. Um, but it became so much of the conversation that this is something the U.S. should do. We should have some initiative that really reaches from you know coast to coast. And so in 2015, we decided to see what would happen. <laughs> and we created a website and a logo, and we said, OK, let's see. And it was a really phenomenal um, response. We had like over 117 partners, and most of them we had never heard of before, which meant, wow, this, this you know, the US is so much more, um, you know, media literate than we even thought. You know, all these organizations, all these universities doing it, and it's just grown from then. And uh, I know UNESCO has had one for a long time. Did it borrow somewhat from that from before Canada got it and brought it, you brought it here? So UNESCO started the Global Media and Information Literacy Week, and they have like a resolution that it's October 24th to the 31st every year. And so the kind of national efforts have really kind of just supported the overall umbrella effort of UNESCO. Um, I'm not sure exactly when UNESCO started, but it solidified, I think, the efforts around the, the world really to make this moment in time be Media Literacy Week, and now we know, you know, obviously Canada, Canada uh, does it successfully every year. Australia, Brazil, so many people around the world um, under the global umbrella are celebrating Media Literacy Week this year. Uh, Meg, as, as the education manager, what, what are some of the things that you've tried to stand up that, that you do during this week? For me, I think as a former educator and somebody who also teaches a little bit right now, you know, and, and Michelle, I, I'm going to speak for you. I know she would agree with this. We really wanted it to be a space where educators felt like they could celebrate what they're already doing and then learn a little bit more, too. Uh, there's not a lot of professional development for educators in media literacy, and they're adding it on to the professional development they're already trying to do in their grade or their subject area. 
And so we wanted it to be a space where they could learn a little bit, refine their craft, but then also celebrate the things that they're doing in their classroom related to media. And I think it's been a really nice balance with that. And have you found over time, since it's been about a decade or so that you've been doing this, or not quite a decade, but um, have you found that teachers are getting more savvy about media as their students are learning more with media? I think they are. I think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. They're getting more savvy, and yet it is changing so quickly beyond the speed at which they can keep up. And so I think the interest is higher than ever. I think some of the you know the frustrations of wanting to, to keep up with their students, wanting to know more and be able to do more with it are also just high because teachers don't have enough hours in the day. And so we're trying to hit that balance for them of you know keep helping them keep pace, providing a space for them to learn, um, and then also reassuring them that this is sort of a, a, a lifelong journey for everybody. And so however they're already doing that is, is something we can celebrate and build off of. And do you find uh, do you find that there are certain issues that media literacy educators or educators in general are particularly worried about or are particularly focused on? Well, I think in general, um, what you know, Meg, to add on to what Meg said is that it's very often just difficult to do everything a teacher needs to do on a daily, weekly, semester basis. Right? They have so much that they have to get done, and so when it comes to media literacy. We definitely don't, it used to be where we would get maybe get a little pushback, maybe get a little bit like, oh, I don't know, I, I can't fit that in. Or, But now people really get the importance, but it's just the fitting it in. And that's part of the work that Meg does and that Namely's trying to do in terms of like, how can we take what they're already doing and integrate these moments of media literacy throughout? And I think that, you know, that teachers clearly understand how important these skills are. Um, but it's how do I fit it into my subject area? How do I, you know, handle the the speed of change within these systems? So it's difficult. And then, of course, so much of what we see on media is politicized, right? So that becomes kind of a tricky, difficult navigation for teachers in some ways. And so we do work with them a little bit on how how do you have difficult conversations? How can you have, you know, still address the power that the media can have? To persuade or manipulate and not trigger you know really intense battles in the classroom like how can you focus on the learning and the skill building uh, so this year for media literacy week what are some of the things that you you all are, are doing across the country so we try like media literacy week is really fun for us because it's the one time during the year that we can kind of try to do everything and we really do try to do everything because media literacy is such a vast umbrella so part of the planning starts with what are like the key topics? What are people thinking about? What are people talking about? And so clearly artificial intelligence is on everyone's mind, mental health, digital wellness, democracy, like all of these really huge, um, you know, huge topics that fall under the media literacy umbrella. So we have events, uh, we're doing an event at uh, Thomson Reuters in New York with high school students on Friday, which is all about kind of the future of news, AI, journalism, media literacy. We have uh, panels about media literacy and democracy. We have a panel about civility online and digital wellness. We are doing book talks mm -hmm. this year, which we're super uh, excited about because there's so many amazing books on topics related to media literacy, and we have an opportunity to meet with authors. We're doing an event with AARP and Trend Micro about media literacy across generations, not just for young people. So we really try to cover a lot 
um, because it really is our most you know public facing event to make sure people understand the depth of media literacy. Good. Um, and so you know those various constituencies you're in audiences you're talking about are are diverse and. and <laughs> Mm -hmm. So do you try and find a way in with a piece of media for each one of these different audiences so that they can understand the topic or the, uh, you know, so for the AARP, you know, do you use the Lawrence Welk show yeah. on PBS or, or do you, do you what, what's your way into these different audiences? You know, I think that people come for the, like the topic, right? This idea that AARP and Trend Micro who are doing work with older generations you know, just kind of putting, inter, you know, intersecting that with the work of media literacy seems to get people's attention. Um, interestingly, we don't really always bring in media up top um, yeah. as much as it's, um, you know, really focused on topic and content. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think anymore we're finding that we don't have to make the case anymore about <laughs> why it matters or, mm -hmm. or even like bring up a relevant example, which sounds silly to say why wouldn't you, but everybody is already so on board with that part of it that I think it's allowed us to kind of just jump into the tools and the skills and the mindsets a little more quickly and um, everybody's just kind of ready, like they're there at the table ready for those conversations. Right. Um, so students, the young generation that you're trying to, to meet, one of, one of the things we've been focused on here when we talk about news media literacy is news avoidance. Uh, people that when they turn on the media, it makes them anxious. And so as a response to that, in terms of kind of cultivate wellness amongst themselves, they just don't want to watch. Um, is this something that you all have, have, have heard folks talk about or, or are, are spending some time thinking about? Yeah, I, I think that I know for the students that I teach, it's really common for them. Uh, it's even common for me. I mean, we do this work all day long, every day. Um, I, I teach media law and ethics, and you get to a point where you have to you have to disconnect. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the work that we do when we talk to anybody, but especially young people, is um, you're playing the long game <laughs> with media consumption and with building these habits. And there there's always an appropriate point to step out and to have a balance in your life and to focus on those things. And to, to see what that balance is, is a lot of trial and error. And so we really want students to think through sort of this balance of, of we need to know what's happening in the world and we need to, to care and be curious and be democratically you know, um, engaged, but we need to do that in the context of our whole life. And I a lot of times say, it's kind of like, you're gonna have to eat your vegetables like your whole life. <laughs> Sad to say, we're gonna be eating broccoli like our whole lives at some point. Um, and so you have to figure out the balance and like what's going to work. Um, and that's not one class. It's not one lesson. It's kind of like that lifetime development. Mm -hmm. I always find, too, that I get this with my social media feed. And this is the struggle is that when you go, when you pick up your phone and you have a moment and you want to check Instagram or TikTok, you don't, oh, you don't get the choice of whether you're going to see, you know, I want to see what my son's doing and what my daughter's doing and their friends and my sister but then in between that, it's the New York Times. And, and when, when there's crisis in the world, which is very prevalent right now, you know, it is, it is a really difficult process to go from a funny, you know, puppy video to the New York Times covering Israel and Gaza. Like, that is, like, our brains are not ready for that mm -hmm. type of, of noise. <laughs> right. And so I find that then it becomes, like, do I check it all? But I do want to see some of it, and then it, it has to be, you have to be so deliberate some mm -hmm. of the time. But, I, you know, there are times where, a lot of times where I go on social media, 
and I don't want to see the news feed that is in there. And it's impossible not to mm -hmm. because that's how my feed is curated. So I think it's a really difficult time to navigate information. And that's part of the media literacy part too, you know, if I can jump in on that of like tailoring what you're trying to do with like the tool, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, a lot of us use social media for news, but it's a sort of akin to using a sledgehammer to hang a picture. Um, it's often not the right tool for it. And so I think part of getting past news avoidance is also saying like, I kind of have to choose a different tool or I have to like have some different habits because the thing that's making me avoid news is often the thing that's like not great at delivering it anyway. Right. So we kind of try to shift some of those like behaviors. Yeah, we, we have a guy here on the faculty who's been studying uh, social science in, from a social science perspective, the ways in which people rely on the feed and, mm -hmm. as opposed to being more deliberate, right? Mm -hmm. right. So much content being bombarded at our eyeballs all mm -hmm. day that we just kind of trust the machine is going to give us what we need to do. It's, he calls it the news finds me mentality, mm -hmm. right? And that so much of the way that people use media is kind of based on what's the feed that's right for me. How do I organize my feed? Um, Although I did see something the other day which was uh, hopeful in a sense, which is that more and more people are starting um, starting the day from a platform, right? Mm. From a major news source platform or something that they're, they're somehow realizing that the, the addiction factor on a social media is, doesn't give them the agency they, they want to have on, mm -hmm. on it. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think that um, we always have, there's like a slingshot effect, I think, with any kind of new media. And, you know, um, the reaction is like so fast and, and furious and like fierce that we have to like take a moment and then realize like what should we actually be using this for? Um, and, and that reflection part of is it working for me is just so critical. And I think what's tough for people is the rate that we have to ask that question mm -hmm. is exhausting and it really is. Um, and, you know, there's no easy way around that either. But, you know, being conscious of that cycle can be really helpful. You know, you were saying before that there isn't a lot of, uh, it's not a lot of set curriculum on this. Have you been working with, say, uh, accrediting agencies or uh, with states or the federal government to work on getting a more standardized curriculum in relation to this? So there is a lot of work being done on, in the legislative space. So a lot of um, policy, state-by-state -state policy uh, driven efforts. And um, there is, believe it or not, uh, an incredible amount of curriculum, incredible amount of resources, and um, just the work that's being done either by educators or community organizations, nonprofits, um, to develop materials. So we, we have found that there's a plethora of materials, but not um, a strong distribution and training model. And that's kind of where we're trying to put a lot of our energy. But um, the conversation around state standards and mandates and all that stuff is very, very present in our community right now, like what will work um, and how does it integrate with the other subject areas. So looking at standards in, in you know, ELA and in social studies and science and how that intersects with media literacy is really important because if we are going to commit to media literacy skills being something that should be taught throughout the curriculum in a school day, um, then we have to be prepared to look at standards in all subject areas. Right, right. So I would say there's some really interesting models of scaling that are happening, interesting 
Um, even uh, we're having this event, as I mentioned, about media literacy and democracy, and one of the groups in New York State called Democracy Ready New York has just put together kind of a, a, a standards package for New York State around media literacy. So we are very much like keeping an eye on these state-by-state -state, um, efforts and to see how we can translate them to other states and how we should be thinking about them on a national level. I see. Um, you mentioned that you're having both, uh, uh, well, working with a New York democracy and then you have a, a, a workshop this week related to democracy as well. Mm -hmm. So how, how do you see the relationship between media literacy and democracy? Want to take that one? <laughs> <laughs> Essential, non-negotiable, yeah. <laughs> a basic human right. Um, you know, I think what we're seeing more and more is that um, we used to imagine in sort of the early days of media and, you know, the golden age of journalism that um, truth would emerge, right, from this marketplace of ideas and the, and the marketplace is, is saturated and um, for some people it feels like chaos and um, there's it's just not working anymore, right? And so, uh, you know, media literacy is an opportunity to remind people that, you know, what we watch matters, what we consume matters, how informed we are about the world matters, but we know to do those things is increasingly challenging. And so I think it's a way for us to um, support people, <laughs> I think, through that. And I say people, but like us too, right? It's just as hard for us to do those things. Um, and it's, it's no longer something of like what, if it needs to happen, it's just when and how often can we fit it in mm -hmm. because there's so much at stake. Mis and disinformation um, is a really large part of what we do right now. Fake news has become such a, a buzzword, but um, it's increasingly the first thing people think of when they think of media literacy. And, yeah, and I think it also just, you know, the idea that a strong democracy has within it informed citizens, right? That's a basic idea right. and so struggling with that idea of what does it mean to be an informed citizen today um, I think you know with the speed and the quantity of information I think there's a lot of assumption that we're more informed than we have been but I would argue that that's actually not the case um, and that it's actually that much harder to truly be informed and knowledgeable mm -hmm. um, and so thinking about that connection of what does it mean to be an active, responsible, productive citizen in the world in a democracy? You need to have, you need to understand information, right? Mm -hmm. And so media literacy allows us to, to teach that. Right, and, and not only to teach it, but you know, one thing I'm always, because uh, I teach a class on media and democracy, and one of the frames that I used to think, I used to think about this is what is getting in the way as, of us practicing democracy? So not only the kind of am I informed, mm -hmm. but am I able to have a conversation with other people mm -hmm. without screaming at them? Mm -hmm. I, am I on a media feed that makes me so upset that I can't have a conversation that, and so you know, making people aware of where their media habits make them less capable of participating in a democracy, you know, kind of uh, defined as the system that brings in a range of experience and kind of brings them into conversation. Like that's kind of my ideal for democracy. Mm -hmm. And media can play a huge role in either fostering that or, or making it harder. Brett, you know, and that's one area where I think media literacy education, um, sometimes, if, if it's fair to say, even struggles a little bit because what you just said about, you know, what we consume and, and does it make us more or less capable. And so a lot of media literacy education um, 
can look only like labeling news like left or right, you know, right. or publications, um, Republican or, or Democrat. Um, and that can sometimes just like exacerbate those issues. Right. And so we need, um, you know, we need media literacy practices that kind of go beyond that. And they're helpful entry points, right? It's helpful for people to kind of put a, a name or a, a label or an understanding to what they're experiencing. But then we also have to do even more media literacy practice to move beyond sort of these like two sort of polarized options to get to that type of dialogue and discourse. Yeah, so what, what is making you, you know, so the, it, it's also the experience, it's a feeling you have like uh, the formerly, I liked your, mm. this morning, the, the, the platform, the artist formerly yeah, the known as Twitter. Yeah, the artist formerly known as Twitter, uh, yeah. You know, I, I, I've had to stop looking at that because within five minutes I would always just be like mm -hmm. upset, right? And to know that that's not by chance, right? That mm -hmm. these are, these are in features of the algorithm that realize that the more psychologically kind of upset we are, the more we're gonna engage with something. Right, right? the longer so, we stay on it, the more eyes, the more right, we can sell the ad right. money for, the exposure for. So to make people aware of where those feelings are coming from, which is the business model in some mm -hmm. senses. Yeah. I do think that one thing that we have found interesting, and I always say that you know, prior to 2016, it was very difficult to get anyone to, to talk to me about media literacy. Um, and there was a lot of cold calling. It was like, hey, I need, you know, right. and it took me 20 minutes just to get them to like perk up. And then after 2016, it just became, you know, just a search for solutions and media literacy kept coming up in those searches, right? But I think what, what I recognize is, you know, that was 2016, it's 2023. So in seven years, we have really made a lot of progress in our consciousness about communication systems, you know, when the Cambridge Analytica, you know, uh, breach became public in 2016, there was a lot of, wait a minute, Facebook, wait, Facebook takes my data? Like, what yeah. is that? And now, like, we are, like, we're just so far beyond that. We're so, you know, words like algorithm and filter bubbles and echo chambers mm -hmm. are now being discussed, not in our conversations, but in cultural conversations. Right, right, right. So I do think that everyone might not be terming it media literacy, but there's a consciousness to the way these systems work that I feel very positive about mm -hmm. because then you can have the how conversation. Okay, how are we going to make sure people know what to do with this information? Mm -hmm. But you know, not that long ago, people didn't even couldn't even have a conversation about why they see what they see in their social media feeds and mm -hmm. I do think that we are a little we are more knowledgeable than we were and that has to be a good question a good a good like positive progress, at least we're asking the right questions. Mm -hmm. We might not have all the answers yet, but at least we're in the process of asking the right questions. Right. You're starting to share a vocabulary yeah. about it, right? Because yeah. that's one of the issues that uh, we uh, uh, share, you know, as, yeah. as people who are interested in, in media literacy, is uh, that what is the shared reality, right? What mm -hmm. is the, it used to be that, you know, there were three news channels, one, you know, four news channels, there was a half hour every night, and people shared the reality of kind of what was said across them. Mm -hmm. And now you don't have any of that sense that people actually share a, a, a life world, you know, that might be similar. So finding those that vocabulary that even people who might be on different sides of political ire or the algorithm sifted over here or over here can have a vocabulary that can use to talk about that. I think that's really, really Yeah, important. I think about just the speed. You know, my son is 21, so like in the course of his life, right, he was born before Facebook and YouTube, like, 
before these platforms <laughs> were what they are. And if you think about what these 20 years have been, if you had like predicted in 20 years, human population, we are gonna change the in, in, entire communication system. We are gonna turn it on its head and we're gonna make all these different rules and different, like it isn't surprising that we're struggling. Like mm -hmm. this is a really difficult thing that we have to navigate and I think it would, it, we would do well if we could be a little more patient with each other and, and with the amount of change that we've had to, to handle over that course of those two decades. So I feel like, you know, really like, should we be surprised with where we are right now? Um, because there's no way we could have kept up, right? Yeah. So now we have to take a step back and do something different. Yeah. Um, so uh, I was going to say one of one of the things that we're uh, we're working on are these solutions to this. You're saying like well, the how to. So, so mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you're trying to stress to people across these various uh, audiences that you deal with? What are some of the how to takeaways that you you give people? I think what one thing that I always say to people is a couple things. One, you have permission not to engage and and try to fact check slash care about everything, um, because a lot of people feel like it's an all or nothing game, and you know there's just no way to make that work. So one is like permission not to do it all, and then I think for people in the education space, rarely is there not a media literacy moment. Um, when we when we talk about you know what textbooks are chosen, or we talk about um, who we bring in to sit in chairs and talk to people, you know, in front of cameras, um, th these are all times where we can ask questions about that um, and about the impact of that on us. And I think looking for those things in our daily life is just an easy way to kind of keep those skills sharp, so that you know when it comes to something you're really interested in, you are already asking the question and you can get there, you know, to those media literacy skills a little bit faster. Um, and that's just a key emphasis. I mean, it's just everywhere and you don't mm -hmm. have to be in a classroom to be practicing media literacy. Um, you know, the moment I start scrolling in the morning, <laughs> like I should be practicing that, right? And so building those chops, so to speak, you know, is, is the emphasis, I think. Yeah, I think it's also, you know, where can we build in agency, our own agency, wherever, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm always like, wait a minute, I don't have to follow this account anymore because the last five days, every time I look at this account, it makes me mad. Like, maybe that's a sign that I should unfollow. Or I keep seeing this ad, you know, maybe I need to tell Instagram that I don't want to see that ad anymore. And that there, there is some agency, like, it. obviously it's very hard for an individual person person to fight a multi-billion dollar corporation on a daily basis, but where can we find our agency with who we follow, the decisions we make on what to share, and that you you can have, you can make some choices, I think is really important to remember. Yeah. I, I find myself in this paradoxical position that though I teach media studies and, and think about these things, that some of, some of the things I keep wanting to remind people is Talk to people. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Get off the media. Put the screen down. Yeah. Right. Like, do something where you're not too screening it. You know? Right. Uh, th those are also media literacy moments. Yeah. You know, to think about how how these things are, are working on us. Yeah, that tension of like our agency, and then you remember that like I can also learn things by <laughs> talking to the person and, and being you know in community with people. Um, and we have a lot of like primary sources in our life that we can actually learn some things from. Mm -hmm. I think is a really good reminder. Yeah. <laughs> So what are some future things that you all would like to do with, with Namely? 
So uh, we want to change the world and <laughs> build a stronger <laughs> democracy. I mean, there. ultimately, like, it's no exaggeration. We want media literacy education to be an essential part of education and life today. We believe it's essential for people to be media literate. Um, so we are looking at different ways to expand professional development opportunities for teachers to get more resources into teachers' hands, um, to look at our role as like a national leader. You know, what is our role in bringing the community uh, together and building a really, really robust, impactful, effective network to spread the word on media literacy? So we look at various ways to scale that. You know, we continue to do our conference, which is a, a you know, premier media literacy conference for educators, you know, bringing more people and more eyeballs to US Media Literacy Week, uh, creating uh, more opportunity for teachers from different subject areas. We, we host a, a National Media Literacy Alliance of membership organizations for teachers. So it's social studies, math, science, journalism, all of them under the umbrella of media literacy. So a lot of what we're doing is how do we take what is happening and just continue to amplify it and scale it. Well, if there's ever anything that we can do here at Penn State to help you with that task, uh, please let us know. And we can't thank you uh, enough for uh, sitting down and talking with us and also bringing the kickoff to, to the week. Yeah, it's uh, so here. exciting Thanks. to be here. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you.